Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 133. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan are with me to discuss who they are backing at both the Dubai duty-free Irish Open on the European Tour and the Corrales Championship on the PGA Tour. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Good morning. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit Golf Betting System with betting previews containing tips, masses of tournament statistics, and our predictor models, all available completely free of charge. Please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. We're available on social media on Twitter. Paul is at Golf Betting. I'm at Bamford Golf. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. And please look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. The Corrales Championship uh, video is up there right now. Please take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is the podcast currency and drives our listener numbers continually upwards. As ever, for those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of next week's show. Can we have some five-star reviews, please? I'll read out a couple here. Uh, This one's entitled Melbourne, Australia. I think we know where Jason actually lives. Five stars. Enjoying the podcast whilst in lockdown in southern Oz. If you ever in if you are ever in Melbourne, you can do the show in my backyard whilst I cook you a barbecue. That's from Jason Mayricks, and clearly he is in Melbourne, Australia. It's Melbourne, isn't it? There's no or Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne. I'd, be, I'd be so no, no, not not when you're speaking it. We'll get an we'll get an Aussie. You know, look it up online, Steve. We'll, you know, moving forward. I'd love a barbecue. Imagine that, like nice barbecue, some cold beers after uh, after a round on one of the local sand belts. Be pretty sweet. Yeah, Try a few on. shrimps on the barbie. And Maybe you just we... lost a few listeners there, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that is that a typical British stereotype of um, yeah. Australians? Yeah. We always review. say we always say Barry that we're going to fly across to do, to Ireland for one of these Irish Open so the likelihood of flying to Australia for a golf tournament I'd say is minimal <laughs> for for the time being yeah yeah anyway never say never Steve we can still dream uh, another review great unbiased content five stars what I appreciate about this pod over others is Steve is very unbiased in his takes Many other content providers have their exclamation mark guys that they always talk up. Steve does a good job of putting up the blinders and using data. Also, one of the few guys that knows what European players to play on the PGA Tour. Much appreciated advice. Thank you very much. That's from Big Daddy Gator 12. And yes, he's in the United States of America. Please keep these reviews coming. It's very, very important from a Apple podcast perspective that we keep getting very strong review grades. And that just helps our distribution numbers and, and just helps us to grow the podcast. So thank you very much for those. Should we talk, yes. gentlemen? I know we don't want to. But should we quickly talk US Open? Yeah, there was there was a lot of very um, diverse comments around the U.S. Open, and there were a lot of negative comments about the winner. There were a lot of no- ne- negative comments about the coverage. 
there was a lot of negative comments about the, the way that the um, commentators and summarizers were basically cutting the knees from under the winner, Bryson DeChambeau, about the way that he plays golf. Um, what were your views on it? Well, there's a lot of grumbling on social media, full stop at the moment, isn't it? Um, yeah, some of it's justified, I think. Some of it um, is, you know, the situation doesn't help, does it? You know, you clearly, you know, in terms of camera angles and camera men, there must be limitations as to what can actually get onto a course at the moment. Um, and, yeah, the, I guess in terms of the commentary, in terms of the, I guess, the... The, the, you know, the will or lack of will for someone like Bryson DeChambeau to win that title kind of came across with some of the commentary, but uh, you couldn't deny the man. He was outstanding, wasn't he? Particularly on the Sunday, staring down the, you know, the, the chance to win his first major championship and he, he lapped the field effectively with his with his round. Only player under par and uh, walked away the uh, the deserved winner. You couldn't, couldn't knock that whatsoever. We didn't get oh. to hear the American commentary, did we? Well, I didn't. I was no. listening to the Sky commentary, which tends to be better anyway. But um, he devoured that golf course. And, and when everyone else was wilting, especially when he eagled the ninth, it was pretty much game over at that point, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't completely. I mean, the you know, Wolf dropped an eagle right back in on top of him uh, to, to stay within one. Um, it seemed like a big statement from Bryson at the time. But, you know... Uh, Wolf just didn't wilt at that stage. You know, that was a big moment and he dropped his putt for his eagle as well. And it's, you know, it's the, it was the reverse bounce back on 10 from Wolf. And that really hurt, you know, just to, to, to stay with him the hole before and then just to drop back that little bit the ne- very next hole. And it's very deflating. I mean, look, there's so much to unpack about the whole thing. You could have, you could talk about it for a couple of hours. I think. You know, Bryson was incredibly impressive. Um, and I think a lot of the... It's, prob- it's probably bordering on vitriol that, it, you know, is fired in his direction is because because it's something different and people are kind of scared of different and uh, it's new and maybe we don't, you know, we can't fully process it or understand what he's doing. And it's much easier to just go on the attack than to try... Um, try to get on the same page as him or you know even to kind of get an understanding of what he's trying to do and how he's approaching it because it's so different and um it makes it makes us kind of scared it's just easier to lash out and especially this year when everyone's just got that you know those extra frustrations in life it's just this you know twitter can become a cesspool um of just nastiness going on and i for the most part i avoided twitter this weekend you know all, all yeah. there was just there was just these persistent storylines and you know rhetoric coming through the tv and twitter the the wing foot members aren't happy every day i was like jesus christ do these are these guys ever happy then because their course was playing very well you know and it's a different ball game from 2006 when everybody was just uh, annihilated the course is when, different when the course is different f- I agree, Barry. After Thursday and this, oh, it's a US yeah. Open. We can't have a leader. Well, yeah, but they left a bit of moisture in the greens because otherwise it's going to get out of control by the end yeah. of the week. Yeah, it's and Thursday that, that was, as well. Wasn't that just blatantly obvious? I thought it was. I thought it was like the Thursday reaction was just bananas. It's like it's the opening day of a tournament. You want to give a little bit of a glimpse about what's possible around the course, and you don't want to go too extreme on day one and have 
have like yeah. you know complete and utter meltdown. Like just basically nobody's happy, which is ridiculous. Um, I thought the Thursday was very good. You know, if you played well, you scored well. If you didn't play well, you scored poorly. And I think for the most part, that remained pretty um, true throughout the four days. And for that, they should be commended. Um, it, was, it was a bit funny the way it went. Uh, easy day, difficult day, easy day, difficult day. They didn't get that progression. But I mean, that's you're missing like a small bit of fine tuning, like micro percentages to get that, to get that progression all the way through. Um, and you're dealing with nature as well. It's very hard to get these things bang on. I mean, what does everybody want? The, the lowest round of the day to be an 80 on the Thursday? Is that like, that's not, that's not what, that's not, I mean, that's not a tournament. It's just, um, that's just embarrassing players for the sake of embarrassing them. And I don't I think that's, I don't think that's something to be proud of, you know? Yes, your course is tough. We can all see it's really tough. If we all went out there and tried to play in it in that condition, in that setup, we would be absolutely annihilated. And I think that's a real reflection of the course, not these high elite level professionals. No, I guess the, the, the issue really was the narrative before the event was the rough. And we all saw As the ever. videos. Yeah, and you, you see it virtually every event now, don't you? Someone dropping a ball into a patch of rough somewhere and the ball disappears. And it was all, oh, you know, you're going to have to be super, super accurate. Um, but there was enough uh, smoke there to suggest that there was, there was enough of a fire to, to, to mean that you're going to have to play a certain type of golf. And we didn't see that on Thursday because we saw Patrick Reed, who I know all three of us had backed, um, what did he hit? He hit four or five fairways, didn't he? He was, you know, mm. by the end of, um, well, midway through the uh, the third round, he was, what, two or three shots clear at one point, wasn't he? And he was hitting virtually nothing. Matt Wolf, um, in terms of fairways hit, it, it, there was nothing there, was there? It, it, it was completely anti what you would have anticipated, A, for a US Open, and B, for what the whole narrative was before the start of the event. Um, so as a punter and as a someone who's, who's placed bets on the event on that basis to see something looks you know completely opposite to what you expected, um, I can see there's a level of frustration. But um, you know you should take nothing away from Bryson. At the end of the day, one player finished under par for a US Open, and if that one player finishes under par and wins the US Open, then is that what the intention? Um, objective of the uh, the organisers was quite possibly you know if level par for US Open is um, you know potentially going to win a golf tournament any player who goes under par is entitled to win and the fact that he won by six and uh, was you know massively impressive is uh, is by the by really we, we say a lot of the time that a really good and you hear it around the place that a really good golf course will identify the best golfer of the week mm. and he was able and, and he's able to separate himself from the field by showing how much better he was than the rest of them all week and in that respect this was a, an unqualified success yeah. because he he was just so far and away uh the best player of the week it, 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 you just can't argue with it um no and like I think I think it was all good there was just a lot of narratives that just seemed to bring in all these negative little things that were just sniping at the main storyline of it being a US Open on a very good test of a golf course. Yeah. I think the one thing we missed in our kind of approach to who we were picking um, bets was that we probably overestimated the importance of finding the fairway. 
with, with those fairways running um, at even just a bit of speed, they weren't up to like super firm, fiery, but you know, they were, you know, you know, as in open championship levels, but they were running quite fast. So their effective width was even narrower than yep. they actually were sitting physically. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we maybe fell into the trap of thinking that you needed a few more fairways this week, you know, over, over 50% or 55 and um, he was he was forty one point one, but that was twenty sixth in the field. So yeah. what, just about half I one mean, of, yeah. of the guys that made the cut. So we 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 just went down the wrong path on that, and that kind of led our bets to um, maybe a slightly uh, incorrect angle. Um, I know I had uh, like this. Everybody will identify with this. I had a couple of notes uh, in my phone from a while back. Uh, I think it was Mylon from the Rocket Mortgage, um, Bryson and Wolf going at each other um, in that duel, and I put them both down as U.S. Open, you know, notes. <laughs> and so I was like, "That's grand." I was looking at them last week, and I went, and, you know, I looked up what they were doing in between the PGA and um, and the and last at the start of last week, and neither of them had been setting the world on fire. So I was like, "Maybe they've gone off the boil a little bit." So I wrote them off like a absolute moron, and. That that kind of stuck with me all weekend. Um, I didn't think about it much until midway through Saturday evening when I had Reed, Matsuyama, and Kokrak all comfortably in the top ten, well in the mix, um, going along nicely. And then the back nine happened, and all hell broke loose in my bets, and any kind of hopes I had of anything just vanished. And that's when this Bryson and uh, Wolf note came back in my head. I went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you look at the raw stats with Bryson. Second, strokes gained off the tee. First, for strokes gained approach. Third, for strokes gained around the green. First, for strokes gained tee to green. That tends to get it done, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Whether you'd have actually foreseen that no, coming no, no, from no. the Tour Championship and the BMW. Yeah. The one thing I will say, season-long stats, here you go. And we said that this, strokes gained putting would be absolutely valuable. Matthew Wolf. let's look at the runner-up. He was sixth for driving distance all drives. He was fifth for drive uh, for distance to apex, so the fifth highest ball flight on the tour. He was 20th for total driving. So you could see his tee game and his, and his approach game, high ball flight, yeah, you could see that. But he had no short game whatsoever on those season statistics. You then look at DeChambeau. Very, very similar stats. First for driving distance, all drives. Well, that won't surprise you. Cameron Champ will be number two. And uh, distance to apex, second. So second ice ball flight on tour. The difference with DeChambeau, 10th across the season, strokes game pain. And then if you, we also kept saying about the mix of around the green and strokes game pain. Well, of the other players that were in contention, Harris English had that mix. He was top 30 for around the green, 18th for strokes game putting. You also had um, Xander. He was in the top spots. Alex Noren was there or thereabouts for a period, wasn't he? Seventh for around the green, top 30 for strokes game putting. So Patrick Reed, 21st around the green, 12th strokes game putting. So people that were kind of around the mix, Webb Simpson as well. They had that mix, but they just didn't have that, you know, just that brute power that Wolf and DeChambeau eventually that, that's what kind of separated them from the rest eventually. And DeChambeau clearly could make the parts. Yeah. yeah. The other um, thing with DeChambeau, looking at it, and I can agree with what Barry's saying, you look at his wins, where they've been. Well, three of his previous wins had all been on Bentgrass, Poe and Anna 
or Poana Mixed Greens. Mm. You know, Muirfield Village, that's in Connecticut. That's the northeast. Uh, no, nah, nah, sorry, Ohio. Get it right, Ohio. He also won on that Tilling Ask track at the Barclays, or the Northern Trust, which uh, that was in New York, New Jersey area. So, you know, he had previous, on, and Boston, of course, he won at. He had previous in the northeast of the Americas. The trouble is... That trend and that narrative that's been built with players total driving and playing beautiful ball striking golf on the way in, that just didn't transpire to DeChambeau on the way in. I think this might be a lesson for us going forward when it comes to driving on golf courses because, you know, if if somebody can gain maybe one or two more fairways around over, over another golfer... Th- the benefit of those extra two fairways just isn't as much as that distance that that that's being hit. Um, they just can't con- just converting that benefit of the extra two or maybe three fairways. It just doesn't um, show that much in the uh, in strokes gained or in the the score at the end of the day. And I think this could be um, an eye opener for us in terms of going forward. And you know. Pretty much every course, bar the the real tight, quirky ones like let's say a Hilton Head, um, it's just driving distance. You know, um, fairways be damned at this stage. It, it seems because you're going to have very few weeks where the rough will be as gnarly as that was, and they still okay. were able to extricate themselves from it. Yeah. The one thing, you know, Bryson and Wolf they missed fairways, but for the most part they missed fairways on the correct side of the hole, so they were able to like get that run-up shot onto the green. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just about your strategy, isn't it? You know, yeah, you, and it was good strategy. Yeah. yeah. Now, Barry, I know we've only got you for a few minutes today because mm. you need to shoot off. Um, so before we go into the two events this week, have you got any burning... Anything burning? Have you got anything burning? Anything, yeah. anything burning? You will have any 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 thoughts? Any any bets you've placed on this week's um, two events, and then we can let you go. And Steve and I'll wrap wrap yeah. through the other My two. Uh, my my wallet is certainly sore. My uh, bookies accounts are certainly smoking after this, after last week uh, went went a bit wrong. So I'm keeping it quite light this week. Um, my. Uh, Seamus Power is back in action on um, on the PGA Tour, and his length should be a really good advantage this week. And he also has a series of uh, good results here um, in the past. So I'm going to go with Seamus. I mean, this it feels like a bit of a um, Web Doc or sorry KFT PGA Tour blended event this week. You know, in terms of field strength, it just feels a little bit like that. And I kind of find these weeks difficult to really dial into a co- getting more than one or two bets and they're kind of almost for fun because I don't I, I find them just a little bit uh, less predictable um, not that I can predict any golf tour but there's something about them just makes it difficult so I'm gonna go with Seamus Power and probably leave it at that unless something pops in my head between now and then um, again Galgurum Castle and, and it's kind of it feels again a blended challenge to a European tour strength field um, I've been pretty useless on the European tour so far uh, the last few weeks. So I'm going to kind of stick um, stick a little bit along the lines of what you're doing, Paul. You know, the temperature's dropped off a little bit here the last few days in Ireland, and they're, uh, you know, another 100 and something kilometer, well, possibly 150 kilometers north of us um, up in Galgurum. So it'll be a little bit cooler still. So I'm kind of just thinking about the Scandinavian angle somebody's used to playing in these cool conditions. 
Um, it's always very tough to do well in your own national open. So, um, but I will definitely, you know, it's, it's tough to see an Irish guy going up there. Who knows what Shane Lowry might do? He's kind of showing some really good rounds and then just having these little bad stretches of golf, which is kind of what he did when he won the Open Championship last year. So he, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he went and won this week. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to go... I have backed Lagergren. And um, I think uh, other than that, yeah, I, I might add one or more, one or two more. But um, if not, I'll just enjoy the sweat on the Irish guys that are playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double, double your two, two boys up, and uh, I've doubled, I've doubled them up. Lagergren and Power, yeah, yeah, jackpot. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Redemption week. <laughs> be nice. Be very nice. Very good. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, Cheers, guys. Time, Barry, and uh, best of luck, and uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you next week, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and best of luck to all the listeners on their bets this week. Cheers, Cheers Barry. Barry. See ya. Do you want to um, do you want to move forward, Paul, with the with the Irish Open because it's uh, it's the biggest tournament this week, undoubtedly, out of that and Kerala's. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's kick off with that. Barry's uh, kind of uh, led us down that path quite nicely, hasn't he? So um, yeah, we're back to the UK uh, for another four week stretch, um, starting this week at the Irish Open, which is moved to the north of Ireland, um, Galgorm Castle. Um, clearly, Barry's pronunciation is going to be better than mine, so uh, yep. apologies for uh, for that. Um, so we've got the Irish this week, Scottish Open next week at the Renaissance Club, which is where Bern Wiesberger won last year, I believe. Um, decent field next week, actually. We've got the likes of Fleetwood Rose, uh, Matt Fitz is coming over, Shane Lowry staying over, um, Danny Willett, Matt Wallace, so a few bigger names or more and a larger range of big names next yeah. week at, uh, at renaissance uh, i remember then, that last year was it like 37 under or something <laughs> one that <laughs> yeah i think you could well we'll see what the conditions are going to be like next week um before we yeah coastal golf you never yeah, know do you? no no it could be it could be nasty it could be cold mm. it could be windy and uh, it could yep. be an entirely different track we shall see yeah um so the scottish and then we've got a bmw pga at wentworth and then the fourth of four is a Scottish Championship at Fairmont St Andrews, which is uh, just down the coast from the from the uh, normal St Andrews track that we're more used to seeing at the Open Championship and of course the Dunhill Links. Um, but for now, it's just low key watered down Irish Open. In truth, originally we we're going to go to uh, Mount Juliet in Kilkenny, um, which was the original plan, but. Um, Covid put paid to that, and clearly they've moved to Galgorum Castle um, in Ballymena, um, in Northern Ireland, which has the setup which the European Tour needs with the big uh, hotel etc. to maintain the uh, maintain the bubble. So that's the thinking with this. Um, it's lost its Rolex status, which um, goes some way to explaining the field this week. The prize fund is down to one point two five million euros. So. A big drop from the Rolex Series days, which were seven million. So, um, I guess you combine that with the fact that we're immediately after the U.S. Open, and it's no surprise really that we've ended up with a, a field which is um, uh, pretty poor, which is a real shame for the Irish Open. But that's where we are. And um, Shane Lowry leads the way, um, eight to one favourite this week. George Kutsia eleven to one. George is playing for the sixth consecutive week. I make it so. Um, It'll be interesting to see if he eventually runs out of steam, but he's clearly playing some cracking stuff at the moment, George. 
Uh, Ryan Fox, 22 to 1. Jason Scrivener, 25s. Uh, Connor Syme, Wilco, Nineba at 28 to 1. Last week's winner, Garrick Higo at 30 to 1. And then into the likes of Yost Lauten, Lurie Cantor, Lucas Herbert, Will Besling at 33s, 40 to 1, bar those players that I've just read through just now. Um, Galgorham Castle is a short parking style track and about 30 minutes or so by car from Belfast in that neck of the woods. So um, 7,087 yards, 7,087 yards for its par of 70. Just a couple of par fives on this track, two short, short par fours over the course of the first four holes on the front nine. So you kick off with a couple of short par fours and then your par fives are in the back in terms of scoring. Um, but in general, short Parkland style, just over 7,000 yards, past 70, as I say. The, the greens are good, um, overseeded bent grass, very smooth. Um, and the comments that I've read from previous events that have been held here have all talked about how good the greens are. So I'd expect some birdies to be made when players are on the surfaces. Um, and of course, it depends on the conditions and um, how players play up to that point as to how many of these putting surfaces they do actually find. And we've got a bit of course history actually, um, going back from the uh, Challenge Tour between 2013 and 2020. The Northern Ireland Open was played here and another one-off event in 2019. Um, just to give you an idea of the winning scores and players who won on the Challenge Tour, uh, Dan Husing, the, he won in 2013 at 13-under. Joachim Lagergren, Barry mentioned, won the year after. Again, the same score at uh, 13-under. Clement Sordain in 2015 at 17-under. Ryan Fox in 2016 at 19-under. Robin C.O. Segrist won at 6-under in 2017. That was in a hybrid format. It's one of these stroke play and then uh, match play style events. Callum Hill won the year after that at 19-under. Jack Senior 11-under. And Tyler Coivisto won just last month at 13-under on this track. So they've played it very recently. Um, if you go through the website, there are two sets of com combined stats this week for this event. One with the Irish Open history and another with the Challenge Door history appended to it. So you can take a view either way as to whether it's Irish Open um, form that you're looking for or, of course, course form for this particular track, albeit with uh, Challenge Door players. So take your pick or take a blended view of the two different stats, if you like. Totally up to you. Um. Of course, with it being on the Challenge Tour, there are no stats to study, there's no skill stats to look through, so we are a bit in the dark in that respect. And um, If you look at previous Irish Opens, they tended to show a variety of styles, and that was often based on the course or the conditions. So the Irish Open is split between some Parkland tracks, some Linksy style tracks, and more recently it's been Linksy style in terms of um, the run-up to what would have been the Open Championship in its original yeah. Um, original scheduling, but of course that's all changed and we're back to the parking style this particular week. And typically, if the conditions are easy, then it's been greens and regulation that have uh, been been the order of the day. When it's tougher, windier, um, short games tended to come much more into it. And you often get that with these style tracks, and um, particularly when they're coastal or linksy style, which uh, clearly some of the open or oh, the Irish Opens have been. Um, this week, in terms of conditions, well, um, it's going to be cold, it's going to be showery. In fact, the temperature's going to struggle to get much above 10 centigrade or 50 Fahrenheit during the course of the week. It's going to be a cold northerly setting in over the next couple of days. So 
expect to see some jackets and some snoods and some uh, gloves and uh, I guess that would appeal to a certain type of player because some of the more southern continental players may be less adept and less experienced at uh, these kind of conditions. It's, going, it's, it's not going to be pleasant by the looks of it. It does look like it's going to be uh, pretty chilly. Um, 15 mile an hour winds on Friday, um, so that'll be gusting 20-25 potentially. Um, the rest of the day is 10 to 15 maybe. So um, it's not going to be dead calm. Um, it's going to be cold and there's going to be wind uh, or a bit of rain potentially on Thursday and potentially towards the end of the tournament as well. So um, I don't think the scoring is going to get particularly out of control. Um, I think the, the elements will, uh, will protect it to a certain degree. Um, looking through the history of the Irish Open in recent years, the last eight winners had all got a top 10 finish in their last seven starts, so they'd all shown a bit of form coming in. But there's a variety of styles that have won the Irish Open. There's a variety of styles. If you go through that list of players that have performed or won on this particular track over the last um, few years as well. And again, um, that kind of suggests that the best player on the week, um, regardless of the style of play, is going to be the, the, the guy who comes out on top. So I'm not going to get hung up on a particular style, a particular type of player this week. I'm just going to go for players that um, I think are going to have a good week here at Galgoram Castle. So I've back four. Um, I've gone down the same route as Barry actually I've backed Joachim Lagergren um, 50 to 1 he was yesterday he's been he's been quite popular I think it's quite clear why he's been popular because he's got that course form and he's got some recent form as well which I'll go through in a second but um, I felt the 50 to 1 was a pretty um, good price to take on a player who has, uh, has already won the track he got his maiden challenge tour victory here in 2014 he opened with around a 62 that day and went on for a wire-to-wire -wire victory. So clearly got on with the track well. And um, we've got a bit of Irish Open form as well. He was second going into the Sunday at 2018 Irish Open at Knox one. Um, and this is a far strong, well, that was a far stronger renewal than, than this week. Um, and that's for sure. And um, not wider form. If you're looking for form in kind of Scotland and the local relatively local area he's got three top four finishes at the Daniel Links as well and um, I think mm. that that's going to be a good barometer of uh, the conditions this week as well because the, the Daniel Links is often played in um, cooler breezier conditions as well um, as it's scheduled later in the year October time generally um, and some recent form as well 24th of Valderrama 3rd of Villamora and um, his long game he's putting at really good Villamora as well so he comes in with some course form, comes in with some current form, he comes in with some local form as well. So adding it all together, 50 to 1, quite happy to take that on Joachim Lagergren, the Swede, this week. And um, back that up with three longer price players, Julian Suri. Um, I was surprised with Suri's price actually. I mean, given the strength of the field, I'm not overly convinced those players at the kind of 20, 30 to 1 bracket. Um, have a great deal better chance of winning this golf tournament than Julian Suri, to be honest, and um, he's available 100 to 1 right now. And you go back to 2017 when he first really started appearing on the European Tour leaderboards, and um, he looked like one of those Americans who's come over, used the European Tour as a stepping stone, and was yeah. going to quickly jump up to uh, to PGA Tour level. I think had he broken into the top 50 in the world, he would have done. I think he would have done. Yeah, he got. He close. was very close, wasn't he? It was literally like it was top fifty-two, fifty-five. Yeah. He was one. It never one quite deep, happened. Uh, he, he was literally that one decent, um, you know, one win or another yeah. second or third place finish in a big event away from getting into. the He'd top have broken 50. into 
top 35 or something and he'd have been there. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't Yeah, I remember. Anyway, two I mean, years ago, that? Uh, 20, back in the 2017, so yeah, not long, not long ago, coming up to three years now. Um, he won in Denmark, he was second at the Hong Kong Open, second in France at the um, uh, the Open de France at the Golf National, second in yeah. Morocco as well, and some, some decent top 10 finishes in some of those final series events. He was eighth at the Earth Course, I think, from memory as well. Um, so yeah, it looked like the real deal at that point, but didn't quite get it into the top 50. And then he got injured. Um, you may recall he was struggling with a hernia issue for quite some time and eventually had to succumb to it, had, a, had an operation and, uh, and lost some time out of the game, which um, has kind of set him back a little bit. But um, he's come back after lockdown. He's made three cuts on the trot now in his last three events. Um, eighth going into the weekend at the Belfry. Fourth after the first round last week. Um, he shot 77 in the worst of the weather um, on Tuesday, on Tuesday, on, on the second day. Um, and there were lots of delays. There was, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures from Portugal last week when it was windy, but seriously. Naughty, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. The conditions were awful for some of the guys that got caught in that. Um, so he shot 77, still made the cut, and, um, and then he birdied six of his final 10 holes on Sunday to give him a nice bit of confidence coming into this. So um, quite happy to take a chance on Julian Suri at 100-1. to one. As I say, I think he's he's got as good a chance as a lot of those guys at 20, 30 to 1 or thereabouts. So but we shall see. Um, another guy who I think's um, better than his price suggests is Callum Shinquin. 80 to 1 you can get on Shinquin right now. I mean, he missed the cut at Belfry, uh, but that was his sixth trade week. And as we've seen with a few of the guys, if they're trying to stick in the bubble for a prolonged period of time, it can it can start to get on top of them a little bit. And I don't think it hurts for some of them to miss a cut and to have a week or two off and then get back into it. Because prior to that, he was playing some nice stuff. 11th at the Celtic Classic, 8th at the Wales Open, um, and some really positive signs with his putter as well, which is something to really look out for with Shinquin. Um, put him on my list. And I know he was backed quite uh, quite heavily at the uh, at the Belfry and he missed the cut, but um, as I say, I think that will probably pay him uh, dividends in the longer term to add that little bit of a rest. Five top tens last year, but he's not had a better chance than he did at the 2017 Scottish Open, which was the one where he had a one-shot lead going down the final hole at par five and contrived to make a bogey to let Rafa Carrera Bello back into the uh, to the tournament and into the playoff. And then, then Rafa um, absolutely tanked him on the, uh, on the playoff and, uh, and, and uh, walked away the winner, which uh, clearly hurt Callum, but uh, I think redemption's got to come eventually. He's too good a player not to overcome that, I think. And this kind of level on a track that should suit him nicely, I'm quite happy to take a chance on him at... 80 to 1. And finally, um, I've gone back to the world, Steve. I can't resist. I've gone back on Robin C.O. Segrist, which I know I've mentioned the name. Scientist. <laughs> I've, you know, I've mentioned the name. I think I'll need to. I did notice his name near the top of the leaderboard in Portugal. Yeah, you yeah, know, again, he's, oh, he's an inconsistent sort, isn't he? But you're getting 100 to 1 on him again. And uh, I'm going to give him one, one last try. You know, that famous one last go, which probably means I'll back him again in a few weeks' time. But uh, let's see how he gets on. I mean, he should have fond memories of this track. He won here in 2017, as I mentioned a minute ago, that hybrid um, stroke play, match play type format. He's uh, still inconsistent. He missed two cuts on the same track following that. So even though he's clearly got some uh, good memories of this particular layout, he's, uh, he's he's performed well and then not so well. But uh, that's what you kind of get with Robin. I mean, since, since then... He still misses a lot of cuts, but there's also some good in there. He was second on the Challenge Tour Grand Final, eighth in Mauritius before Christmas. 
third at the Vic Open, which has some decent form lines to this. He was leading after 36 holes there. And more recently, he was third at the Uran Bank Open, where he led after 54 holes. He's getting closer, getting closer. And 17th at Valderrama, which is good. 32nd last week. And again, he was another who got caught in the worst of the weather. Um, shot at 75 in round two. Uh, but then he closed with three straight birdies at the back end of last week on Sunday for a little bit of confidence coming into this. And um, hopefully he can combine that with the fact that he's playing a track where he's already enjoyed some success over the years. So, yeah, taking Robin again at 100 to 1. Just to clarify my others, Callum Schinkwin at 80 to 1. Julian Suri at 100 to 1. And Joachim Lagergren at 50 to 1 this week are my four against the field. Like Barry's on Joachim Lagergren. Was any anyone that you saw, Steve, that caught your well, eye? If you two are on him, I might as well jump on. The other one I thought was a reasonable price. Did absolutely nothing at Valderrama. Uh, missed the cut again in Portugal. But you look at his form in the UK before that. I think it was two top tens. Mm. Um, Callum Hill. And yeah. we know he's a he's a course winner here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, again, he's, one that, he's always at a kind of backable price, isn't he? And, um, yeah, 50s this week. Yeah, you, you could just see him pop him up, and it's like, well, yeah. If I looked at his just at his UK form, two top tens, and here, uh, if you take out the two missed cuts in Spain and in Portugal, yeah, I didn't think that was too bad. No, it's no. difficult, isn't it? We don't really know what kind of skill sets you're going to need to win around here because. I'm sure Laurie Cantor's going to be popular, isn't he? Because he's been playing some fantastic stuff. Yes, yeah, there will be a few. Um, we are guessing to a certain degree. And I, I think the conditions are going to dictate the kind of player that, that ends up near the uh, near the top. Mm. How bad does it look? Well, uh, it, it's You said it was changed. going to be quite bad, and then it's kind of eased yeah, off, isn't it, the forecast? It, I think, uh, reading between the lines, and so this is some very amateur meteorology, by the way, so don't, don't, don't quote me on all this, but it looks like there's a, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a hurricane coming into America, which has completely blown the jet stream out. So when I looked at this at the back end last week, I remember saying to, Steve, to you, Steve, and to Barry that we were yep. looking at 40-mile-an-hour winds coming in for this. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the weekend, it changed. It, it was placid but cold, and it looks like this hurricane's coming. It's, it's upset the jet stream, and uh, we're just going to end up with this kind of northern Arctic blast that's going to come through uh, the whole of the UK over this coming weekend. So it's got, it is going to be cold, and combine that with a proper northerly wind coming through as well, it's going to feel even colder as well for the players. Um, but just wow. over just overnight, the wind forecast that I put in my preview has changed again, and it looks like Friday is going to be the windiest day. So it's clearly a moving feast. Yeah. Um, and I suspect it's just going to be um, cold and breezy with some breezier and some wet interludes as well. So those guys who have got some decent form in um, the north of Europe, and uh, you know, it's not on the coast, this is a parking track, but I suspect the coastal um, and, you know, Irish and Scottish weather conditions that have been uh, been been played successfully in the past for some of these players should uh, should bear through, and I, I think that really points to someone like uh, like Lagergren. I think he's got got a good chance. Yeah. we shall see. Doesn't doesn't point towards someone like a Jazz Jane Waterlound, does it? Or, no. I mean, his his name jumps out of a very classy type player at sixty to one, but that forecast doesn't feel very. 
Doesn't feel very Asian esque, does it? Or well, no. uh, or American esque. And the, 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 yeah. the South Africans as well, it might feel a bit a, a, alien to those guys as well. Sounds like you might want a grinder. Yeah, yeah. Well, although I, I'm not sure it's going to be that. You know, I don't. I don't think it's going to end up in a kind of a single figure. I, I still think you're probably going to get to 12, 15 under somewhere in that bracket. Maybe you know, 13 under has been quite a popular score there on the change tour, and uh, I think you may be looking at something like that. So somewhere in the middle um, would be my view of how how t- difficult it's going to play. But um, yeah, that should be an interesting. Well, it'd be good to see it on TV because clearly we've got no um, Portu- live Portugal. Um, videos last week um, so uh, we'll see what happens this instead PGA Tour Corrales Championship and this, this kind of this kind of puts everything into context what I'm about to read this week we move from New York to the Dominican Republic this is the third ever Corrales Championship on the PGA Tour with Bryce Garnett and Graham McDowell taking the first two renewals the PGA Tour has signed a four-year contract with Grupo Punta Cana, the owner of Punta Cana Resort and Club, which will see this tournament on the schedule through the 2021 season. And that throws up the very strange situation where the Corrales will be played both this week and in March 2021, so twice in a single PGA Tour season. Mm. I've never seen that in my life. No, 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 it's odd, isn't it? But those, these are the COVID times we live in. They've tried to strengthen this because it was always it's always been a, a clearly they played it on the Corn Ferry for two years. They then brought it into the main PJ Tour as an alternate event, which I think used to be played alongside the WGC match play. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. It was earlier in the year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because I think they play they play Puerto Rico alongside Mexico, and they play this alongside the match play a couple of weeks before the Masters in a, in a normal golfing calendar. Uh, that used to play as a three million dollar prize fund, which doesn't really get many um, PGA Tour pros out of bed. Um, it used to come with a two year exemption, which is fantastic if you win it. Um, and it also came with um, only 300 FedEx Cup points and no Masters invite. This time around, though, because the PGA Tour is desperately trying to find tournaments to fill the schedule and, of course, to try and give their PGA Tour members some um, some tournaments after three months of no activity, they've upped the FedEx Cup points to 500. It comes with a full Masters invite for next year. I know that's confusing as well. Not for this year in November, but the year after. Yeah. 2021, that would be. And it also comes with a $4 million prize fund. So you think... It was interesting, because over the weekend, whilst all my US Open players, apart from Xander, disappeared down the leaderboard, even though I thought Patrick Reed was going to bring home the bacon. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was just thinking, because you, you don't get... I wonder what kind of field strength this is going to bring in. Because, you know, it's a full-status event now. There's some FedEx Cup points. There's a there's a Masters invite. I just I, I, I didn't have any concept of what they it would bring in. And uh, when I saw the field, I was like, my, uh, my chin hit the uh, desk. And when the first prices came out yesterday, they were very sluggish after the US Open. Univet came out first. And I'd already written up two of my players, and I saw that they were twenty to one each. I was in serious, serious trouble because I'm thinking, my 
they they priced up Pat Perez, who clearly I've tipped up at twenty five to one, and that was the first market to show. <laughs> I'm thinking, how the hell can Pat Perez be twenty five to one in this? Yeah, yeah. Unibet have actually that, that the Unibet and the treble eight numbers. Are, it was it, you do get this in these small fields. They've got a completely different view of this market as opposed yeah. to a lot of the other bookmakers. Mm-hmm. Lots of discrepancies. So let me, t- I mean, we've got Will Zalatoris, we've got this Corn Ferry stud who's, who's clearly a talent. I mean, to finish in the top, was it six in the US Open? That was very, very impressive, wasn't it? Well, you saw it from his stats, and I, I remember looking, when we were pulling together the, uh, the stats for last week's US Open, and he did stick out with some of the uh, performances that he's got, and you know, his, his raw... Corn Ferry statistics, but oh, it's just, to go and translate gets, that to the US Open is it's top ten each week, isn't it? Yeah, for like months. <laughs> um, he's something prestigious, and to do that around uh, wing foot, I mean, that shows you where we're at. Now you can look at this two ways, and that that's the trouble with these these kind of alternate kind of events. We've had Richie Rowinski win at thirty three to one at Reno. Oh, I know it is Reno, but uh, the Barracuda. Victor Hovland was twelve to one favourite at Puerto Rico this year, and you know, oh, twelve to one, don't fancy it. Oh, I'm not going to go anywhere near that. We had Bermuda last year. Brendan Todd won at hundred to one. Uh, Barracuda year at the uh, the fall before then, twelve to one favourite. Colin Morikawa. So we have seen Morikawa and Hovland in the last four kind of renewals of this top level of tournament win at twelve to one and favourite. So. Do not be surprised to see, to see Will Zalatoris. I was umming and ahhing whether to just bang him up at 14 to 1, three points win only, and. Be done with it, yeah. Be done with it. And he could win. Clearly, he's the class of the field. And then you've got Corey Connors, 18 to 1. Yeah, he's like, whoa. Mackenzie Hughes at 20s. At least Mackenzie Hughes made the tour championship and he was second here last year. You can kind of see that. He's as short as 12 to 1 with some firms and he's yeah. 20 to 1 with Unibet. It's kind of all over the place. Yeah, as you say, there's some real discrepancies between the, the, the thought processes with some of these uh, odds compilers, which is good because generally when you find that, then further down the list there's going to be some equally different views mm. and a little bit of value potentially. Sam Burns, 20 to 1. And we were on Sam Burns, weren't we, a fortnight ago? Yeah. Fifty to one at the Safeway Open. He was the four, uh, thirty-six hole leader. And then I read an interview with him, basically saying that whatever God was going to, you know, bring down from high would be his end result. And I didn't like reading stuff like that. In terms of, you know, you get players that are confident and can say, oh, you know, I, I, I really fancy it this week. And he was kind of, oh, it's complete fate what happens this week. Yeah, no. I thought that. I thought that was a little bit strange. Um, and I can remember last year I tipped up Joel Damon for this and we know what Joel's like he's all in it for the money if he doesn't ever win on the PGA Tour he's not that bothered you know it's almost like mentally checking yourself out I think Burns is a talent Burns is going to win and he he is very Bermuda grass um, positive you know he's from Louisiana Mm. Um, he's the sort but these are Paspalum Greens um, let's let's talk. I mean, those are the top five in the market, and it, and it shows where we're at. Um, we're playing this at the Corrales Golf Club. Um, it's in the Dominican Republic. It looks a nice spot. I mean, I wouldn't mind flying out there and spend a, a week or two out there. I, I don't know about the eighty-five month quarantine when I got back into the UK, but 
Um, it, it seems it seems a nice spot out there. Seven thousand six hundred and sixty-eight yards. It's a par seventy-two, so that's a long golf course at sea level. So you think to yourself, well, actually, it's going to favour the bombers. Um, and then you see the two winners here. In fact, you could see three winners because uh, or four. We've we've had Dominic Baselli and Nate Lashley who have won here on the Corn Ferry Tour. Now neither of those are bombers. Nate Lashley is very neat and tidy. He's a high accuracy man, high um, you know decent approach game. And when the putter fires, as we saw in Detroit last year when he won his first PGA Tour event, Lashley um, can score very low. And that kind of transpires across to Bryce Garnett, who won here in 18, and G-Mac, who won here last year. They're not long bombers as such. Now, it no, doesn't no. mean that long bombers can't contend around. It seems to be one of these neutral courses where if your approach play is good enough, bearing in mind we don't get any strokes gain data whatsoever here, um, so there's you know there's no there's no laser technology out there tracking any shots. It's it's pretty basic uh, fairways, greens, putting average kind of stuff. It seems to me though that and you read this in in player interviews, it's a second shot kind of golf course. And as ever at these kind of things where the scoring's going to be super low, it boils down to a putting contest. Mm. Who's got a good hot putter? We've had eighteen under win both times, Garnet and GMAC. Uh, the forecast this week is the calmest I've seen. There is no wind. It's like five to ten mile an hour max, and you know some days six, seven. Yeah. So I can. This is going to be a twenty under job. Yeah, there's going to be some birdies made by the looks of it. The greens. They are not Bermuda. They are Paspalum. Uh, Paspalum. That is a grass that is very prevalent in Asia. Um, because it's very hardy, and bearing in mind it's you know this these are t- typical kind of Gulf of Mexico Caribbean type temperatures here, thirty degree heat, mm. high humidity. Paspalum's very and it feeds off sea uh, water, doesn't it? Paspalum. Yeah. It's uh, so they can they can just basically bring the water in from the coast, and that can irrigate the course. It's a resort course because clearly you know lots of ca- Canadians. You know, notice a few Canadians at the top of the field. Lots of Canadians fly down from Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and enjoy some nice uh, winter or fall sun uh, down here in the Dominican Republic. So the Canadians love it here, and that's why I think you've got Mackenzie Hughes playing, you've got Corey Connors, uh, I think Gellerman's playing, Michael Kligic, David Hearn. There's a great Canadian um, set of players at this tournament. But the Paspalum Greens, if you're looking for some com courses, they clearly play Paspalum Greens, although it's a slightly different derivative, at Coco Beach, where they play the Puerto Rico Open. Yeah. Um, you've also got Paspalum Greens at El Chameleon, where every year they play the Mayakoba Golf Classic. And we've also got Paspalum Greens, and we used to have them, and it's an old tournament which has disappeared off the PGA Tour schedule, the CIMB Classic. Now, they changed, the last year there, I think was 2018, they changed the greens there in Kuala Lumpur from Paspalum to Bermuda. Mm. But previous to that, they were all Paspalum greens there. And as we know with the CMB Classic, that was an absolute 
birdie shoot and a half, wasn't it? Yeah, 28, 30 under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that place was business. mad. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm seeing any form at um, Mayakoba El Chameleon or I'm seeing form at the CIMB Classic in Kuala Lumpur, I think that's a big tick in the box for this. And you can kind of see that with Garnet and with GMAT because Graham McDowell won the Mayakoba Golf Classic in 2015. And if you look at Bryce Garnet, he's had a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh at that El Chameleon golf course. Yeah. Uh, regular punters will remember that last year, that was where Brendan Todd won his second of two consecutive tournament victories at El Chameleon, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, beat off, I think it was Carlos Ortiz was up there. My, my tip, Harris English, was right up there. What kind of year has Harris English had? Wow. Didn't have any status. He had a one one twenty six to one fifty status on the PGA Tour starting last year, and now he's in the world's top fifty and finishing in the top five of a major. I know. I remember us incredible. And still, and still hasn't won a golf tournament. No, I remember us saying at the start of the year he he was playing some great stuff, but couldn't get into some of these invitational events, could he? Because of his status. No, uh, no status. That's all changed now. Now ensconced. And don't forget, that US Open, I think, went towards Ryder Cup points. Yeah. yeah if he keeps playing. Um, par 3, par 4, par 5 splits here over the past four renewals. Baselli, minus 2, minus 9, minus 13. Lashley, minus 8, minus 7. 5, minus 8, minus 7, rather. Uh, Garnet, minus 4, minus 4, minus 10. And then we had GMAT last year, minus 2, minus 6, minus 10. The, the par 5s here, the 16 views on par 5s. If you can get someone that can really score heavily on those par fives, I think you're going to be doing well this week. Mm. And the golf course is a set of two par par not far, um, par. Good God, a set of two nines. Yeah. We've got an inward nine, um, which is far more stringent and plays along the coast with far longer holes. Two par fives, both over 600 yards. And you know some of these shorter hitters like a G Mac, like a Bryce Garnett, are going in there with like three wood off the off the deck. Uh, but you've got a, a kind of outward nine, which is more mangrovey, more inland, more tree lined. And this is why this course it's it's very very similar to this El Chameleon gig in Cancun at Playa uh, Playa de Carmen over in Mexico, because that's exactly the same inland. Mangrove kind of first nine, and a and a, a coastal, more coastal, classical kind of um, you know view of the sea, cliffs, whatever on the inlet on the on the on the other nine. It's a very similar setup, and the, and clearly the Paspalum greens. Uh, predictor model for this week. As you know, I'm uh, Paul does the same, but I'm I'm very uh, into the predictor model and what that can produce. I didn't. In my actual predictions this week, driving distance wasn't a feature whatsoever. Um, you can tell that from kind of where I'm at with the names here. 10, Chris Strood, 125 to 1 with William Hill, 8 places each way. 9 is Vaughan Taylor, 125 to 1 with William Hill, 8 places each way. Now, both of those names have both done well at the Mayakoba Golf Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We then get 8, Bryce Garnett, 66 to 1 with Unibet, 6 places each way. Seven, Chucky three sticks, Chucky three sticks at twenty eight to one. Paul William Hill eight places each way. That just shows you where we're at. But again, Hal is all over Mayakoba. 
Yeah, he is. And he, he has, what did he finish? 30 for thereabouts last week? The US yeah, Open, he so. won fairly recently at the yeah. Sea Island Golf Classic. And he's yeah. been putting really well the last two outings, but 28 to 1. Um, and he's how's uh, he isn't the accurate sort of the tee, is he? He's quite a powerful hitter, Charles Howe. But I could see Howe really popping up this week. Uh, six, Wes Roach, 125 to 1 with Betfred, six places each way. Top five, Mackenzie Hughes, 20 to 1 with Unibet, six each way. Four, Graham McDowell, the defending champion, 80 to 1 with Unibet, six places each way. He's not playing at all well, Graham, at the moment. No, uh, he's got some But there you go, another, uh, another OHL Mayakoba winner. Three, Patton Kazaya. Wow, another Mayakoba winner. 125 to 1 with William Hill, eight places each way. It's almost as if I've kind of ramped up the Paspalum <laughs> scores. Two is Brian Stewart. He, he was in the last group out at the Safeway Open, finishing the top three. 50 to 1 with Bet365. Um, I, I was tempted on Stewart. I would have put him up, I think. I would see Stewart definitely coming in the each way money this week because he does like banging two. Top five, two top sixes together on courses he likes at this time of year and basically guaranteeing his PGA Tour privileges. Mm. I think Stewart will be bang up for it this week. And number one, Pat Perez. I don't think I've said that very often. Pat Perez, number one in the predictor model. 35 to one right now. William Hill, eight place each way. Well, when you're talking about a track where you're going to have to make copious amount of birdies, that's his MO, isn't it? That's his game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, particularly if it's easy. If the, if the conditions are easy and your birdies are easy to come by, then he can just. He's a very streaky player, isn't he? You can get into those uh, birdie making runs quite readily. Now, I watch uh, a lot of content from the United States, uh, Rick Rungard, uh, of course, Pat Mayo. And those guys over there, a lot of the data guys, the model poppers, they hate players that are putting well. They love ball strikers that aren't putting well. That seems to be the MO, yeah. Now, I'm just looking here. If you look at Todd, if you look at Hovland, if you look at Warinsky, all three of those winners on these kind of alternate events were both uh, 17th, 15th and 6th coming in on their previous outing with putting average, with the putter. Mm. Warinsky, when he won in um, the Barracuda a few months ago, was second for strokes came putting on his previous outing. I don't think a hot putter is such a bad thing, you know, at these kind of events. I agree. As long as you can find people that are hitting a level of greens, because this is not this is clearly going to be a golf course where high GIR is more than possible, because even, you know, to most of the field, because it's a resort-level golf course. And I, I'm seeing, you know, top 25 for greens in regulation last year were all over 70% greens in reg. So it gives putters a real chance this week. Putters mm. a real chance to actually do their, do their thing on the dance floor. Um... And when I looked at the actual previous two winners here in Garnet and in Graham McDowell, their tee to green game arriving here wasn't brilliant. They had they had shot some low tota scores in previous outings. But one thing I did notice with both of them, on their previous outing to win in this, they were both in the top 12 for strokes game putting on their previous outing. So, you know, that's another little trend that I, I think is quite a good trend to follow. Someone that's clearly going to like the greens, going to like the humidity, like, going to like the fact that they it's a tournament where you, you shoot birdies, and they've got a little bit of confidence with that putter rolling in. Mm-hmm. Um, Garnet was 12th, 11th for strokes game putting on his previous outing at 
uh, I think it was the Valspar tournament. Uh, he was a 66 to 1 chance, and he had finished 31st at Copperhead on his previous outing. Um, he was 12th for strokes going putting, 11th rather. Graham McDowell, he'd also played Valspar, finished 46th. Nothing hugely alarming there. But again, top seven strokes game putting, the the outing before arriving here and winning. So I'm kind of taking that model. That's that's exactly where I'm at, really. Who knows? And again, like Barry said, I'm in a I'm in a situation this week where these tournaments, if you can wipe your face, get out of here with a level week, score an each way return, I'm more than happy. Because it's I don't know, Will Zalatoris could could win by six, can he? And everyone's happy. They've lumped on at ten to one and we move on. Here, here are the four that I've gone for. I'll go in reverse order for a change. One player that you can't say is a great putter, but one player who's been playing some absolutely dog-awful golf recently but seems to be turning a corner is JJ Spawn. Now, I can remember two years ago with JJ Spawn. In fact, I've actually got his world ranking up on the screen. As close as the end of 2017, he was in. He was fringy, 100, top 100 in the world, Spawn. He was one of these guys that kept kind of getting into contention and not getting over the line. He's had two years of absolute abysmal golf, done nothing. But just recently, we're starting to see green shoots with Spawn. And that's what interests me. 160 to 1 I managed to get on yesterday. That price is gone with Bet365. Yeah. I'm seeing, what is he now? 125. Can you look for me what yeah, price he is right now? He's, uh, he's certainly starting to get. He's, uh, he's get shortened backed. from there. Yeah, that's a look. He's. Uh, in my eight-week trackers that you can all view on my preview at Golf Betting System, there are links in the uh, in the um, description box. He's first for greens regulation in this field over eight last eight weeks. He's fifth for strokes gain on approach, and he's first for strokes gain tee to green. Wow, he's yeah, striping it. One hundred twenty-five to one now is the best you'll get, and generally yep. hundreds of one. So uh, yeah, it's clearly clearly proved to be a popular pick so far this week. He's striping it. Ninth at the Safeway Open last time was his top 10 for years. But you listen to this. Ninth at Torrey Pines in 2017. Sixth at Harbour Town in 2018. That's another golf course that both Garnet and McDowell have done well at. Clearly, GMAC's a winner at Harbour Town. Garnet's finished in the top 11 around there. Uh, we've got Spawn with the sixth. 14th at El Chameleon in 2017. Second at Sea Island in 2017. And third again at El Chameleon in 2018. So there's a 14th at the Mayakoba and a third at the Mayakoba. Um, he's finished, uh, when he's played on those Paspalum greens in Mexico, first for putting average in 2016, 13th for putting average in 2018. And Spawn is the kind of sort where his tee to green game is fantastic right now, but the putter hasn't been brilliant. If he can actually get on some passable and greens and feel confident on them and actually has a great paying week, this guy's going to go really low this week. Yeah. Really, really low. There's been some real, you know, there was a four under 66 at the Rocket Mortgage Classic on one round, a five under 67 at the Barracuda. Uh, at uh, a Saturday, six under 66 and a Sunday minus four, 68 last time out of the Safeway Open. So 10 under over his final two rounds in California, arriving here. He's got momentum. I can see Spawn having a great week. I really can if that putter clicks, yeah? yeah? So 160 to 1, I was more than happy to take just the five places each way at a quarter odds with bet 365. Some shorter prices. People keep have kept mentioning Christopher Ventura 
for quite a while, especially with DraftKings and especially with his stats. And I can see why, because his stats are very, very strong. Now, Ventura, he's one of the 2019 Corn Ferry Tour crop. He was uh, Scotty Scheffler, Robbie Shelton, Zing Jun Zhang, and Christopher Ventura. They all won twice in that 2019 Corn Ferry Tour. So he's clearly a very good player, and he's clearly a player that can win when push comes to shove. But when he came to the PGA Tour last season, he was the one of the four that actually struggled. Uh, you think Shelton made the playoffs? Zing Jun Zhang made the playoffs? Scotty Scheffler, well, he's on a completely different level now. We were talking about uh, Harris English. Scotty Scheffler's just... Still hasn't won mind, but he's now, what, top 30 in the world? Yeah. You know, potentially Ryder Cup player. So that's the kind of quality that Scheffler's got. But Ventura, again, two-time winner on the Corn Ferry that year. But he he absolutely struggled like sin when he when he made the, the, the step up. You know, we're talking about six straight missed cuts. He missed seven, uh, seven missed cuts in eight. And then he arrived in Puerto Rico, finished 20th on Paspalum Greens, and then COVID hit. But since COVID... 4th, 8th and 15th on his three Corn Ferry appearances. He's also in a 21st and 19th and a 37th on the main tour up to the Wyndham Championship. And in those tournaments, come Sunday morning, he was 19th, 22nd and 18th. So he's getting experience in later Sunday groups on the main PGA Tour. Fantastic. And then the Oklahoma State University graduate was in 12th spot after 36 holes at the Safeway Open two weeks ago, but he pushed forward. Six under 66 on Saturday meant that he played in the second from last group with Cameron Percy. Now, we all know about Cameron Percy, us punters, don't we, Paul? Cameron doesn't tend to hang around on a Sunday, does he, Cameron Percy? There's a few like that. Yeah, and he's Cameron Percy's extreme, mate. If you see a top 10 from Percy, it's always that he shot a 62 on Sunday to jump up from 58. (laughs) He shot on Sunday five over through his first six holes at the Safeway Open. Cameron Percy-esque. But Christopher Ventura, who you think, oh my, you know, he could have shot all sorts when he's seen Percy doing that kind of thing. Um. He went a bogey-free 70, so two under par, bogey-free, and finished seventh, his first ever PGA Tour top 10. Mm. But the beauty of this guy, he's one of these rarities right now where he's driving the ball beautifully, sixth for strokes gained off the tee in my eight-week trackers, fourth for tee to green, he's in the top 20 for putting, and also first for strokes gained total across the last eight weeks. And if you look at traditional statistics, he's 11th for greens in reg over the same eight-week period in this field and 6th for putting average, putts per GIR. So the guy can putt. Um, lived in Mexico. He's got Mexico Mexican mum. Lived in Mexico till he was 12. Then he moved to Norway. Then he then he, he did all of his ex uh, he did all of his education at Oklahoma State. I mean, we've seen some good players there, Matthew Wolf, uh, recently. Uh, and he lives in Florida, so he must get to play these kind of Bermudery, Paspalum golf courses fairly regular. I think yeah. Ventura at forty to one is a decent punt this week. William Hill eight plays each way at fifty odds. Do I need to say too much about Pat Perez? Well, we've touched on him to a degree already, but yeah, I can see the logic with him because simply you're going to need someone who can uh, 
get into that birdie making mindset. I'm going kind of... oldest first here, Paul. Oh, it is. I'm going oldest first. These are his last six appearances on Paspalum Greens. 33rd, 1st, 1st, 34th, 6th, 8th. He likes it. I could take you through all of his, what I would classify as fall, you know, like autumn finishes on the PJ Tour, but it's just yeah. a catalogue. Two wins. He just loves popping. I said this about Brian Stewart. So, I mean, these players, especially the older guys, they know that these this is their opportunity to make hay, mate. Mm. Fill the fill the wallet, fill fill the coffers, get loads of FedEx Cup points on board, and then you don't have to worry about the rest of the season. And Pat Perez is in that kind of vein. Yeah, it's a bit more with it this 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 event as well, isn't there? As you said right at the top of the show, it's um, it, there's more money, there's more FedEx Cup points than in previous years. So uh, added little extra carrot for some of these boys to uh, to pull their finger out. I don't think Pat. If this had been an alternate event, three million dollars, no Masters appearance, I don't think Pat would have turned no, up. No. He'd have waited to Bermuda next week, but he's thinking, I, I fancy a bit of these Paspalum greens, and it's a Masters invites up for grabs yeah, and yeah. million dollar prize fund. I'm, uh, you know, to the winner. I'm liking that. And he's just playing well, isn't he? He let he was uh, he was seven point two eight six strokes gained putting at the Safeway, which was second in the field. So going on the basis that we want someone with a nice warm putter, Pat has got that. And actually, his tee to green gain is fine. It might, you know. I'm seeing some reasonable numbers. He's 13th in this field for greens in regulation over the last eight weeks. So he's hitting greens. 20th for putting average, 15th over that time period for strokes gained putting, and 16th for strokes gained total over the last eight weeks. I think Pat Perez is a fantastic bet. Um, he's not the longest. He's nice and neat and tidy. And he mentioned at the Safeway Open when he contended the whole week that the thing that's made the difference, he's moved his ball back two uh, two balls back in his putting stance and that was why that putting performance came from nowhere he'd been working with his short coach and uh, all of a sudden he's just making putts big style so Pat Perez again I got 40 to 1 I don't think that's I don't think that's available anymore I got 40 to 1 yesterday 8 places each way 50 odds with William Hill 1.5 points and then one guy that he jumped out at me after Friday, you know, at the US Open. I thought, oh, he's playing quite well. And then, of course, I thought, he's the sort, you know, that would go really well if if he is in the field next week at the Corrales. Yeah. And and you know what's going to happen then. So you, you've put him on your shortlist. You know, you know, you know he's going to uh, to make your tips. And he goes and shoots a sixty nine at the US Open in round three and gets himself onto the fringes of the top ten at the US Open. Yeah, right on the radar. Yeah, right on the radar. To his credit, he held on, didn't he? Top mm-hmm. 15 or 13th yeah. he was last week yeah. at Wingfoot. Yeah, it's a good effort. Um, I love Adam Long. Um, I don't think he's going to pop too many models because he isn't, you know, his statistics can be a bit all over the place. But if you actually just look at Adam Long, you look at his Paspalum form. Eighth here in 2017. He was 10th at the Abaco, uh, which they play on the Corn Ferry in the Bahamas on Paspalum Greens. Um, he was also in 2018 sixth in Mexico, so he clearly likes this kind of territory. Uh, and here at the um, El Chameleon uh, Mayakoba Golf Classic last year, he was right in the mix. He only finished one shot out of a playoff with Brendan Todd and with Vaughan Taylor. 
uh, at that Mayagoba Golf Classic. He's he's short, he's accurate off the tee, he's hitting plenty of greens at the moment, and he's putting nicely. Adam Long. He's the guy who, uh, a few years ago, no one had ever heard of him. He'd done nothing on tour, and all of a sudden he won the... Um, the Desert Classic, as it was called then, at PGA West at something like 30 under par, oh, yeah. beating Phil Mickelson in a head-to-head on was, Sunday. Was that when... I forget now. Was he like 600 to 1 to win it or something? Obscene. He was some crazy, yeah, obscene yeah, price. I can get there, mate. I've got it at my fingertips. <laughs> he was a 600 to 1 oh, chance that memory. week. He won. No, I'm not. I'm looking at my spreadsheet. He was 26 <laughs> under par, winning that. So you just think to yourself, well, in a world where we've got Sam Burns at 18 to one, and you know, if God sends a win to him, he's going to take it. And you got Will Zalatoris at 12 to one. I thought that I would have liked 30s or 33s. Adam Long, who's been playing. He was third at the 3M Open fairly recently. He then played the PGA Tour playoff events and didn't disgrace himself, made it to the BMW Championship, and he's just finished in the top 13 at a US Open. I just get the kind of feel. He, he might be a kind of... Remember Ches Reevy last year when he finished third at the US Open oh, yeah, and then yeah. won the Travellers? Oh, it's possible, yeah. I could see Long holding that form, hitting enough greens, keeping the putts rolling... And at a course where you're going to need to shoot 20, 22 under par, that is his wheelhouse. Mm. That is Adam Long's wheelhouse. So that's where I'm at. Long, I'm at Perez, this Christopher Ventura chap, and JJ Spawn. Now, I know, before I even ask you, because you've been telling me, you've been sending me messages about exactly who you're tipping up this one. And uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking well, forward to this. It, it, it's funny when you when you were reading through your rationale for for this, and in particular, oh, hot putters. Well, I, a hot putters oh, is no. kind of a given for me, but um, getting quite kind of forensic with it and looking at the strokes game putting in specifically for the last event or the last couple of events. Mm-hmm. So while you were talking, I flipped through the uh, strokes game putting performance of this yeah. player that I've picked. And he's 90 to 1 with seven places. Absolutely. Bo Hosler. He's Jeff lost. Feinberg's going to love this. Bo Hosler. <laughs> he oh, was yeah. um, looking at the Northern Trust. His last two starts 49th at the Northern Trust, 23rd at the Safeway. He started poorly in both of those events, 73 to open them both. 65, 69, 67 at the Safeway to finish 23rd. Pair of 66s at the Northern Trust and eventually mm. finished 49th. But going back to your point, 13th for strokes game putting at the Northern Trust, third for strokes game putting at the Safeway. And we know he's a cracking putter. I mean, for me, if there's someone who fits this particular type of track, um, when it's going to play well, when it's going to play easy, when it's going to play scorable, then someone like Bo Hosler can really make hay, in my view. So he's putting well, he's a good putter in general. and he's got five runner-up finishes now for to his name, and he's got to get that win. He's good enough for a win for me. In fact, had it not been for Ian Poulter at Houston, who made that um, putt on the last to get into a playoff with him, 20, 25 feet, whatever the number was, um, he'd already be a PGA Tour winner. Um, and 
whilst those kind of things can hurt, I know, understand that he can overcome them, and I think he's starting to round into a bit of form mm. again. And uh, yeah, quite happy to take him at ninety to one, as you yeah, say. With that's seven a nice spots. price. Um, I don't know why. I've got no idea why. And I, I have cracked onto this many in the years past. There is some link between the golf course of Houston and the Mayakoba Golf Classic. Yeah. And we've seen Harris English has got a great record in Houston. Yeah. And he won the Mayakoba in 2013, I think it was, or 2014. Bryce Garnett. I remember tipping up Bryce Garnett at some silly number, like 250 to 1 in Houston, and he obliged with a full each-way payout, finishing 7th. Yeah. Yeah. So that link between Houston and what you just said, it, it losing to Ian Poulter in Houston, and this golf, and the Mayakoba golf course, mm. that that's a reality in the past. I've got no idea why. It nice has little, worked yeah. in the past. Nice and then you see that close link, yeah, you see that close link between El Chameleon and here, and he is, he's putting lights out at the moment, um, Hosler. He won't be he won't be uh, popping many models in, in DraftKings, I can assure you. But no, actually, no, no. I yeah. think he's a decent shout for a DraftKings player as well. Well, yeah, if you can sneak him into and he'll, he'll make he'll score a lot of points because he will make a lot of birdies and potentially eagles. Um, he'll, he'll make probably too many bogeys, um, which will, if he doesn't win, that will probably be what costs him. But um, in terms of scoring on DK, yeah, I can I can see that point as well. Top 25 strokes game putting. I won't go for all 25, but if you take the last eight weeks, Peter Malnati at one, well, there's a surprise. Two, Vincent Whaley. Don't know anything about him. Three, Bo Hosler. He's tied with Mackenzie Hughes. Now, we know how good a putter Hughes is. So, Hosler is putting so, so well. The other one I people have mentioned to me on Twitter, Facebook, and already on YouTube, and I did have a good close look to him, but I can't tip up everyone and don't really want to in a field. Field like this is Rob Oppenheim. Right. I don't know if he came on your radar. No, Oppenheim. Maybe a DK player later. I think he got in the final group at the Wyndham, and he was fighting to get into the into the playoffs. And in the end, it all became a bit too much for him. He he does seem to be one of those guys, Oppenheim. I think he's a bit more mature. Uh, When he gets really into the heat of battle, he does seem to just fall away slightly. That doesn't mean he can't finish in the top five here in this field, but hundred to one on Oppenheim, who's been playing some outstanding golf recently. That has to be said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got another one, um, hundred to one as well, and that's James Hahn, who was leading. Hahn. He was leading into Sunday at the Safeway. He finished ninth yeah. overall. I mean, that's not really his mo, is it? He normally wins off the back of about fifteen consecutive missed cuts. Missed so cuts. Seem to go ninth win doesn't really work, but hundred to one. On a player who's clearly playing well, um, I, I quite like that. Um, 22 birdies at the Safeway, four for driving accuracy, six for greens and regulations. So his long game's good and we know he can putt. Kuala Lumpur form, sixth and ninth as well, if you go back through his history, which I quite like, again, for this tie-in between those two tracks and the, uh, the putting surfaces there. Before we finish, what would you say, because I know that our American listeners especially would like this kind of view, what would you say about the European Tour guys that are playing this week? Stenson... We've got Matthias Swab and we've got Thomas Dietrich. If people are thinking about backing them in the States or using them in DK, is there anything about those three that you would like this week on this kind of setup? Well, Dietrich's been playing some really good stuff, hasn't he? Um, outside of those three names, the two that have come closest to, which kind of tie in with that, uh, Peter Uline, who's played a lot of um, 
golf on European the, on the European yep. over the years. I know he's been great putter. He's been more common ferry. Yeah, there's there's a bit to like about what he's been doing actually. Again, he's uh, mm. he's won by the coast over in Europe at the uh, Madeira Islands Open, I think it was back in the day. Um, and uh, yeah, he's tempting. 125 to one. The one who's got absolutely no form but loves Paspalum greens is Kiridak Afibamra. And mm. um, he's been in some shocking form recently. But um, these the kind of player, if, if we were coming to a European Tour event now and it was on um, Paspalum and he was in this kind of form, I would be quite tempted to stick him up as a just a pretty random um, long shot and just see how he goes with it, actually. Um, so yeah, there, there are a couple that I've picked. If we go back to your names, I'd probably go Dietry out of the others. But the, the problem with Dietry, as we've seen on the European Tour, is that he gets himself into some really strong positions and then just um, hasn't quite got that um, killer instinct, I don't think, to get over the line at the moment. That'll change. Um, that'll change when he gets his win. And when he gets his win, he's probably going to go on and be a very, very good global player, I think. But just not quite there yet. You can see why him they're playing because because of this Masters invite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big. Why wouldn't you? Big carrot. I mean, another another one who um, came close as well. I, I've got a list of about ten here, which I, I, I could potentially back. Um, Annie That's Bar- the trouble, Lahiri. isn't it? Yeah, Annie Bar- Lahiri, who's again another oh, yeah. one who likes um, Pascal and Greens mm. and showed a bit of form last time out. Shot sixty five mm. in his second round, so there's some flashing some form there. Did I see he's down to five hundred and sixty something in the yeah, world golf rankings? It's better than that, isn't it? Wow. It's better than that. Mm. And of course, Matt is playing, so I'll stick him up for first round leader. Scott Brown is another one who likes Pascal and Green. He's got no form, but he's another one who often pops up in the first round as well. So um, a couple of quid on um, Every and um, Scott Brown for first round leader, I think, is uh, another angle to play this week. It's a hodgepodge. It's, a t- it's total <laughs> garbage. But uh, we're in. I've, I try to keep the... I've, I've gone low on my stakes this week. I just anything could happen, really. But let's see what happens. It's a it's a bit 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 samey across both uh, both events this week in the island and uh, the Corrales. Yeah, it, it is very much after the Lord Mayor's show this week, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Better next week, definitely better in Scotland. And uh, you say you've got the uh, Bermuda Championship next week as well. So <laughs> should be some better fields both sides, hopefully. Well, I wish you luck with your bets. Yeah, and I, uh, I wish, I wish, um, I wish uh, followers and listeners good luck with the two events as well. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Of course, we will be back next week, hopefully with Barry again to discuss both the European Tour and it's a Scottish Scottish Open and the Bermuda Championship on the PJ. So, thank you. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye.